0: Tanya for the fourth of Nissan, but first the story. There was a very successful tailor who lived in Shisra and he was very popular amongst the nobility. They all came to him with their, with their tailoring needs and he, he worked very hard, but he was very successful. He was very talented and he, be- he became extremely successful. And one time, one of the noblemen's, one of the popular noblemen, came to him with a, a cloth material and said, that "He's got, he got this material from Paris. It's extremely expensive material, and he wants this tailor to um, to make something for him." The tailor said, "Of course," and the tailor told the man, "Why are you doubting my skills? I'm 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 the best. You know, you don't have to worry." The part was very concerned about it, and the the man told him. The tailor told him, "Don't worry, I'm the best. Don't you have nothing to worry about, nothing to be concerned about." He worked very hard on the cloak. He can. He brought back the finished product to the tailor, and the tailor was furious. He said, "This is dreadful." And the tailor was so confused. The pirates loved his work, and he was really, genuinely a very good tailor. And the pirate leader was furious, and he gathered his henchmen and violently beat up the tailor, threw the tailor out of the palace, and threw the cloak behind the behind the tailor and told him get out. I want to have nothing to do with you. And so the tailor was horrified. He had no idea what, what overcame the pirates and why this, this was his quality work. He brought the cloak back home. And meanwhile, word of this drama started circulating all the rest in the nobility. And everyone avoided him. Everyone said, oh, he's not really good anymore. He doesn't know what he's doing. And they all avoided him. And he started getting really penniless. He started He lost his entire fortune. And his wife, meanwhile, told him, listen, Nearby lives this Rabbi, Rabbi Chmiel, who's the son of the Yidak Kaddish. He's a big tzaddik, people come to him for brachas, go get his advice. He wasn't interested, but at some point he realized he has no choice. And so he went to the uh, Rabbi Chmiel, the son of the Yidak Kaddish. He told him the story and he said, what do I do now? Rabbi Chmiel told him like this. I said, take every single stitch that you stitch into the um, material, take it all apart and then restitch everything back into the exact same place. And he was very confused. He left the, he, left he was did, didn't really know what to do. On the other hand, he had nothing to lose. But you know, in his head, he was very mocking of all thing. I'm, I'm gonna redo the, the garment exactly as it was before. But yeah, he had literally nothing to lose. And so he did it. He took every single stitch out, re-put every single stitch in. And now he had the daunting task of going to the nobleman. He went to the nobleman, he showed the nobleman the cloak. He was terrified he was gonna get another um, sound beating, but the gentleman says, give me a second, he calls his wife and they're both examining the cook and they're so impressed. They say, well, we, we misjudged you. We don't know why we, it looks so dreadful before, but you know what? It looks fantastic right now. And he said, in addition to everything that I was going to pay, you the hefty sum that you originally asked to do the job, I'm going to give you a massive bonus on top. Meanwhile, this uh, tailor leaves, his reputation is restored. He's now in a really good help but wonder what had happened was, this was identical to the to the to the cloak that he had made the first time he goes here and asks you um, what, what exactly happened and he said like he said so the first time you did it it was full of arrogance and arrogance is a, is a tasteless thing and arrogance is a, is a is a disgusting thing so you sewed it with extreme arrogance and the tailor and the wife of the tailor and everyone around saw that and they, just, they couldn't help but dislike it the second time when you had so much humility you redid really it exactly the same, but this time you infused humility into it. Now it became a very tasteful, a very wonderful thing, a very pleasant thing to look at. Beautiful story, and connects directly to taste, Tanya. What we're saying so far in the Tanya, like, is like this: when you want to understand the greatness of something, the easiest way to know that is look at those, look at its reward. If someone's paying you a million dollars to go around the corner, you probably know that there's going to be some daunting task going around the corner because a million dollars is a lot of money to go pay to go around the corner. If someone pays you to a massive job and very little, you can know, well, that doesn't, that job clearly doesn't mean much to that person. From the of the reward, the payment of something, you can always know how valuable that activity is to the person that's paying. Same thing with mitzvahs and Torah. From the reward of Torah and mitzvahs, we can understand just how precious this is to Hashem. And we see there's a big difference between when a person does something with kavanah, or in the in the phraseology of the Gemara, let's call it lishma for Hashem's sake. Or a person doesn't shalay lishma, and lishma doesn't mean not for Hashem's sake. It actually means for negative, for ego-driven personal motives' sake. That's the that's the the that that's introduction number one. Introduction number two is that it can't be for Hashem unless it's dedicated. It, it, it has dedicated love and fear. Just as when you do something for a friend, you have a love and a fear to do it. Otherwise, what is the motivation? Someone asks to do a favor, you say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I'll got you. And you do that. Why are you doing that? No one just does it. Well, I don't really know this person at all. And they asked me to trek the Alps the to get them a berry from the top. Why, why would you do that? If you love the person or you're terrified of the person, you respect the person, you know, a motive within the umbrella of love and fear, then that causes the person to do something. And as deep... Motivation and meaning behind it. Same thing with us, our relationship with God. When we do a mitzvah regularly, we put a coin in tzaraka, we light Shabbos whatever the mitzvah is, it's wonderful and it's beautiful. But when it's been infused with the love and the fear, it's it, it does. It takes on a whole new meaning of its own. It, it, it's, it's amplified thousandfold because now it has deep meaning. You're doing this with God. Why? Because you love God. Because you fear God. And of course, as we mentioned at the very end of yesterday, love alone is not enough, you also need to have fear and fear and love, both of them need to exist, and that's a throw forward to chapter 41. With, with that introduction, man, let's finish the final the final part of chapter 39. Now, what about when a person does, learn Torah, that's a really easy example, and he does it literally for his own move, he wants to get respect, or he wants to use his knowledge so he can go into a shir the next day and humiliate someone else with that knowledge. He did Torah. He connected to God in the highest form. He learned Torah. On the other hand, his agenda, his motive wasn't love for God or fear of God. It was literally to hurt someone else with that Torah or to show his own arrogance, show how brilliant and smart he is. And want to stand up when he walks into a room. His motive of learning Torah is not at all about love and fear of God. It's entirely set up to bolster his own ego. For example, he's learning Torah because he wants to be a Torah. Why? Because being a chacham generates an incredible amount of respect. Now, what's really sad is that that ego motive now becomes invested in the Torah that he's So he's learning Torah, but the, his ego is the reason he's doing it. And then the ego becomes injected, let's call it, into the Torah. And then what unfortunately happens is the Torah now becomes in an exile inside of that ego, inside of that impurity. But the operative word is only temporarily, only for a, a certain amount of time. Until like the person that redid the stitches, all he needs to do is do tshuva, He does tshuva and he he brings um, healing to himself and healing to the world. And that terror then goes up. We're gonna have a better example for the stitches. That the Gemara says like this, and this is actually the same Gemara that we spoke about in Sakonun earlier on a few days ago. A person should always be involved in in something, in admits us. Why? Because even if he says, "Well, hold up, I my motive is I want to learn this in order to get a lot of respect," and you know, well, maybe I should just close the book and go do something else instead, do something neutral instead of learning tire with ulterior motives. Says the Gemara, absolutely not. Learn it. Learn it with a bad motive. Why? Shemitoyich because by doing it, a person will eventually, at some point, people will learn to the famous story of the OC and the Gemara. You learn to for from ulterior motives to become wealthy or whatever it is. And at some point, you start realizing, oh, wait a second, tell you something deeper than that. I actually love God. I fear God. And so it will bring you along the, you'll, you'll get, you know, it's a gateway um, activity to doing that properly. Properly. So there's two interpretations that October has of by doing it with impure motives, you'll eventually do it with the pure motives. Firstly, when you correct it, it will turn into pure. And secondly, by doing it um, with impure motives, you'll condition yourself to finally actually start doing it from the get-go with the pure motives. Because we have this principle mentioned in the Torah. That, uh, there'll never be the banishment um, um, will remain. No banishment will remain permanent. Will never be banished forever. Which means eventually people will always repent. And whether it's this um, reincarnation or next reincarnation, there always, there'll always be some form of repentance. And therefore, you just learn your tire. Doesn't matter what your arterial motives are. No matter what, what negativity you're connecting to that positive act. Just do the good act, and then down the line you'll work out how to make that correction. Now. What about when a person just does mitzvahs regularly? That was yesterday's discussion. A person just opens a book. There's no intention. He's not trying to manipulate people by learning Torah. He's not trying to hurt people by learning to you. He's just learning. It's not. There's no love and fear connected to it. But he's just opened the book. He says, oh, "Yeah, let me learn a little." In that case, he didn't do anything wrong. He's not connected to impurity. He just opened the book and learns. Is that a positive action? Absolutely. Learn Torah. He put a coin in Tzedakah box, she lit Shabbos candles, whatever the action is, it was positive action, but with no love and fear, and definitely with no impure or negative motivations. So what is, how do you fix it? How do you bring that up? Because it doesn't go up unless there's love and fear connected. All you need to do is relearn that Torah, but with this time with love and fear no impurity connected to it because there was no impurity connected it was just a neutral learning you did a positive action it wasn't neutral positive just with no wings all you need to do is relearn you relearn that same gemara a second time. this time with love and fear you say i want to connect to god and i love god naturally or you think about God, god's greatness and you generate a emotionally um Driven love, and fear, whatever it is, so you relearn that gemara with love and fear. Now, the, all the times you learned that gemara earlier on, now all are sent together with the let's call it the the two wings of the the final time you learned it. Redoing the stitches. Therefore, a person should always occupy himself in doing things um, 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 even without any ulterior motive, because eventually, because it, it, it will by an action. Down the line, 10 years from now, you might have finally relearn that Gemara with love and fear and be able to send them. And even davening, same thing. If I'm davening, day after day after day and more often than not, unfortunately, for so many people, they don't have love and fear attached to that davening. What happens is one day they sit down and they say, Bar and they think about love and fear before they have it, and suddenly that entire Bar shama of 10 years earlier all ascend in one massive ascend i was going to talk about this later on in the later on in the Tanya's the exact theme about um fixing up and collecting all the fillers of the entire year into one perfect Daphne. It's a theme we're going to explore later on, but the idea that if something's negative, you do shiva and then rises rises above. If something's just neutral, there's no love and fear, it's fine, it might hang out in this world, but down the line at some point, you're going to relearn it with love and fear, and then everything gets a thanks Thank you so much for joining the Tanya and uh, and anyone else who needs a name, have a wonderful and very successful day, and Thank you so much for joining.